What is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 33 of Locked on Tigers. I am your host, Chris Castellani. You know, on Monday's show, I forgot to wish everybody a happy Easter. So, happy belated Easter. I hope your Easter Sunday was uh, safe for all of you. I know these are very strange times, and so being able to hang out with family may not have been an option, but I hope in some capacity you were able to get in contact with the people that you love. Now, moving on to more pressing matters. Continuing our list of the top 25 best baseball games of the last decade. We are on to number 11, well into the top half of this list. And it comes to us from October 16th, my dad's birthday, of 2014. Game 5 of the NLCS between the St. Louis Cardinals and San Francisco Giants. And these were two teams that were underdogs in their previous series. The Giants were not favored to beat the Nationals, they won that series in four. The Cardinals were not favored to beat the Dodgers, won that series in four. And you came into this, and there were some incredibly close games in this series. Game one was a 3-0 affair. Big surprise, Madison Bumgarner twirled a gem. Giants won 3-0. Game two, Colton Wong hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth to win it for the Cardinals. Game three was won in extra innings on a, on a walk-off bunt that was thrown away into right field on an error by Pat Neshek. Game four was a 6-4 Giants victory, so they were on the precipice, on the verge of their third National League pennant in five years. And in game five, you had the same matchup that you had in game one, a battle of aces. Adam Wainwright versus Madison Bumgarner. I mean, we, we know, and I'll continue to talk more as we go on with this list about the the greatness that was Madison Bumgarner in the 2014 postseason, but I think a lot of people believe that this was going to be uh, the Giants game because Adam Wainwright just didn't look right uh, in, in the postseason in 2014. Had a tremendous, tremendous season in 2014. Finished third for the Cy Young. I mean, had a career year and a lot of years, uh, given his record and given his ERA, probably would have won the thing. Clayton Kershaw and Johnny Cueto had remarkable years in 2014, which uh, which prevented that. But you get to the postseason and Wayno was getting rocked. I mean, got absolutely pounded in game one of the National League Divisional Series against the Dodgers. Six earned runs on 11 hits and four and a third innings. Didn't take the loss because Clayton Kershaw had an almost impossible choke job in that game, and the his offense bailed him out. Cardinals actually won that game 10 to nine. But in game one of the National League Championship Series, Wayno took the loss. Four and two thirds, six hits, three runs, two earned. Got outdueled by Madison Bumgarner. So one of the big storylines coming into this game was, is Wayno going to be able to right the ship? Can he match Madison Bumgarner's greatness? And in fairness to him, on this night he did. This was a very, very good pitcher's duel with some very timely offense. You know, one of the other key uh, themes of this NLCS was that there was very little power. I mean, there were almost no home runs in this series with the exception of Colton Wong's walk-off in Game 2. These teams were winning... Uh, with small ball and with timely situational hitting, not with a ton of power. And AT&T Park is not, has never been a park, except unless your name is Barry Bonds, has never been a park that has uh, subjected itself to a whole lot of home runs. You know, you'll, you'll get the occasional blast in McCovey Cove, but it is a pitcher's ballpark. It is a big park. And early on in this game, both these pitchers had their best stuff. But in the top of the third, it was actually the Cardinals who uh, broke the scoring Open. Tony Cruz led off with a walk. Sack bump by Adam Wainwright moved him to second. Matt Carpenter would walk, and then John Jay would hit a double to left field, driving in Tony Cruz, making it one nothing Cardinals. And the Giants would respond in the bottom of the third. Joe Panic, the rookie, 
would hit a two-run shot to right field. And in the top of the fourth, this was very surprising because Madison Bumgarner was the king of shutdown innings in this postseason. He gives up a, a solo home run to Matt Adams to tie it at two. And then a few batters later, Tony Cruz hit a solo shot to left to make it 3-2 Cardinals. So for a series that featured almost no power, you had three home runs essentially in, in one inning. A, a very surprising turn of events, but after that, both these pitchers would really settle in and and twirl gems. I mean, Adam Wainwright, a lot of question marks for him coming into this game, but he was phenomenal on this evening. Seven innings, four hits, two earned runs, two walks, and seven strikeouts. Only 97 pitches maybe could have stuck with him. They elected not to, and the Madison Bumgarner just kept rolling after a couple hiccups there in the fourth inning, giving up those home runs, he ends up going eight innings. I mean, he goes eight innings strong, eight innings, five hits, three runs, two walks, and five strikeouts on 98 pitches. Ends up retiring the last 13 batters that he faces. So he was essentially spotless in the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth innings, keeping his team in the game after falling behind three to two. This was much more like the pitching matchup that people expected to see in game one of this series. Two of the best pitchers of their generation having two of the best seasons of their career going head to head. And that's what we got on this night at AT AT&T Park. And despite Bumgarner going eight strong, he still left the game with his team down. And this was a a five game series between two teams that were incredibly evenly matched. And the Giants had gotten a a fair amount of breaks. I'm going to be honest with you. And you know what? They did in in their three championship seasons in 2010, 2012, and 2014. The ball bounced their way a whole lot. You did feel like, given the Cardinals' experience and given the talent on that team, if they could survive this game, get it back to St. Louis, we could potentially have the inverse of what we saw between these two teams in the 2012 NLCS when the Cardinals had a 3-1 lead in that series and then lost the last three games, the Giants winning the NLCS and then going on to sweep my Tigers in the World Series. So despite the fact that the Giants had a big lead in this series, it still very much felt like it could go either way. And it was obviously a must-win for the Cardinals. That goes without saying. It's kind of a a ridiculous statement saying that an elimination game is a must-win, but it absolutely was. I mean, this was their season on the line, and thus far, the Cardinals were very much up to the challenge, but a whole lot changed in the last couple frames, and we're going to talk about them next. And we're back. So like I said, we get to the bottom of the eighth inning. Adam Wainwright now out of the game. The Cardinals would like to go with Pat Neshek. Pat Neshek, uh, an incredibly reliable reliever for a majority of his career. You know, with that that crazy windup, he's a submarine pitcher. Uh, very good, though. Very productive guy. This was who they probably wanted on the mound. He was going to get three outs, and then they were going to go to their closer, Trevor Rosenthal, to get the final three to try to get this series back to Bush Stadium in St. Louis, where the Cardinals would try to go to the World Series. But the Giants had other plans. Right away, with Madison Bumgarner out of the game, Bruce Bochy elects to go with Mike Morse off the bench with really one goal in mind. Mike Morse, not a terrible hitter. Mike Morse was a power hitter. If Mike Morse was going to score, it wasn't going to be because of a bunt single, a stolen base, and then reaching home on an RBI single. He was coming off the bench to hit a liner, hit a gapper, and possibly even hit a home run, and he ended up making his manager look very very smart. Pinch run if Morse gets on the 1-1. That's hammered into left. 
Joe Buck on the call there with Fox. And you even heard at the very beginning of that clip, if Morse was going to reach and be on base, they were going to have a pinch runner for him. I mean, he was not going to be in this game for very long. But like I said, he made Bruce Bochy look like a very, very smart man. And much like what happened later in this game, and I'll talk about that, it was kind of a microcosm of what made a lot of these Giants teams very special. Big contributions by small-time players, players you didn't necessarily think a whole lot of, but this was a massive moment, really electric moment. I mean, AT&T Ballpark was just in a frenzy that that evening, and they really were for several years there. That is such a beautiful park uh, in San Francisco, and Mike Morse with the pinch hit, game-tying solo home run. Pat Neshek would follow that up by going 1-2-3, but you'd get to the top of the ninth, and things would get a little bit hairy. Johnny Peralta would ground out Santiago Casilla, the closer, for the Giants now on the mound. He would ground out, but Matt Adams would walk. Randall Grichik would single, moving Adams to second. Colton Wong would hit into a force out at second, moving Daniel Descalso, the pinch runner, to third. Wong would steal second. Tony Cruz, who had a great night tonight. Jeez, I think it what's that? Two walks and a home run would then walk. And Casillas Knight was done, and the Giants went with their reliever ace in the hole, Jeremy Affelt. And I'll talk a little bit more about Jeremy Affelt when we talk about another game on this list, but Jeremy Affelt, there is a strong argument to be made that behind Mariano Rivera is a, a distant second, but second nonetheless in terms of greatest postseason relievers of all time. Good pitcher in the regular season, solid, did his job, good middle to late reliever guy. Postseason, this dude was money. And they needed him to get a big out. And Oscar Tavares, the late Oscar Tavares, tragic story, you know, what could have been. He passed away uh, shortly after uh, this series, actually. Um, came off the bench to pinch hit. He would hit a ground ball back to Jeremy Affelt, who would take it himself to first base, ending the threat. And we would go to the bottom of the ninth with the heart of the Giants order coming up. And Mike Matheny went with Michael Walker. Now, let me try to explain this. Michael Walker, this was, like I said, October 16th of 2014. Michael Walker had not pitched since September 26th. Now, in fairness, Michael Walker as a rookie in 2013 was a revelation in the postseason. You watched this kid in October in 2013, and you were just thinking, this guy, he's going to win a Cy Young one day. I mean, he was absolutely unbelievable in an in, in elimination game in the National League Divisional Series, carried a no-hitter into the eighth inning, was NLCS MVP, six and two-thirds scoreless in game two of the NLCS that year, seven scoreless in game six of the NLCS, was the winning pitcher in game two of the World Series that year, did take the loss in game six, but nonetheless, a a breakout postseason for him. Struggled with injuries in 2014, sadly, and really has throughout the majority of his career. Kind of a sad story, Michael Walker. You wonder what could have been, but Matheny elected to go with him. Walker was the starting pitcher coming out of the pen. This was a very, very questionable and controversial decision. I, I understand somewhat the the philosophy behind it, the idea behind it. You got to go with a guy who's been clutch for you in the past or was clutch last season, but man, oh man, he hadn't pitched in 20 days and you you, you have your closer, Trevor, Trevor Rosenthal, who was a bit inconsistent in 2014, but still very good and pretty darn reliable for you. This was a very, very questionable move. And right away, you could tell he was rusty. Right away, you could tell he didn't have it. Uh, Pablo Sandoval singled to right field. 
Hunter Pence would would fly out to right, but then he would walk Brandon Bell on four pitches. The 3-0 pitch, I mean, Bell was taking all the way. The 3-0 pitch wasn't even close. So there's runners on first and second now with one out. Travis Ishikawa coming up to hit. Travis Ishikawa, it seems seems like a wonderful guy, right? He, I, I love watching interviews with him all throughout this postseason. I mean, this was a guy who was pretty darn close to quitting baseball in 2014, and he had the opportunity to do something incredible here. But it's worth noting, Travis Ishikawa, for really for the most part, throughout his career, I mean, played for eight seasons, had a WAR of 1.1. Wasn't a particularly great hitter, 712 career OPS, only hit 23 career home runs, you know, kind of bounced around, played for the Giants uh, for a lot of his career, won a championship there in 2010, was not one of the key members of that team, but then went to Milwaukee for a bit, and then Baltimore, and then played for the Yankees, and then Pittsburgh until winding back up in San Francisco for the latter part of the 2014 season. This was a guy who had really, despite playing at the major league level, had had zero impactful moments in his major league career. And on a 2-0 pitch by Michael Waka, all of that changed. Travis Ishikawa hits one in the right. The Giants win the pennant. absolute pandemonium. I mean, this was such a great baseball moment. There's this iconic moment of Ishikawa. He was rounding second. He was heading to third, hadn't even touched third base yet. And Jake Peavy of the Giants comes running out there to hug Ishikawa. And Ishikawa saying, move, dude, I got I to gotta reach home plate. This thing's not officially, officially over yet. And obviously he touched home plate, making it official. Giants winning the National League pennant, their third in five years, ending the Cardinals season. This was such a great game and really such a great series. This was about as tense a five-game series as you're going to get. I mean, usually you think five-game series, you think, oh, well, one team was significantly better than the other. Uh, Not in this case. This thing was as close as they get. The Giants once again showing remarkable intestinal fortitude and much like the Morse home run, this was, the to me, like one of the defining moments of this mini dynasty that the Giants had there for a while. They just got contributions from everybody. You know, you didn't have to be Buster Posey or Madison Bumgarner or Matt Cain to contribute for this baseball team. You know, they got contributions from everyone. And I think it's why you look at those teams top to bottom. They never really scared you, but they played well together. And it seemed like everyone had the ability to to hurt you at some point or another. And on this night, it was Travis Ishikawa who went from a guy that probably most of baseball didn't even know to a guy who was became immortal with one swing of the bat, a really amazing baseball moment, a really amazing game. The Giants would go on to, uh, well, they would go on to do something in the World Series, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, a few games from now, later on in this list. So that is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2-0-1-4. You can follow this show on Twitter at Locked on Tigers. Eventually, I'll be doing mailbags again, so you can uh, send those questions to the show's Gmail account, LockedOnTigers at gmail.com. And while you're quarantining or in self-isolation, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a positive review. It would be much, much appreciated. Thank you so much 
for listening. I, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I, I've liked these last couple. I think these have gotten better in terms of recounting these games and recounting these moments. I hope you all feel the same. So thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day and go Tigers. <laughs>